0: As I run through the French Quarter of New Orleans in the rain, chased by a dead man, I wonder where the hell my supposed long-lost half-brother, the supposed pulp hero, disappeared to with my gun. Johnny Murder gains on me, of course, because I weigh almost 300 pounds naked, which I am, and the next thing I know I'm being tackled to the sidewalk by Mr. Dead Guy, who seems pretty alive to me. I feel the barrel of his gun press against the back of my head, and I know I'm gonna have to fight or die. I've got the bulk to throw this asshole off me, but can I do it before he plants a bullet in my brain?" "'You've figured it out,' says Johnny, breathing hard from his run. "'Now here's your reward, smart guy!' I gather myself up to make one last move. I've got the body of a sumo. Now's the time to use it. I'm not ready to be dead yet. Though Johnny here didn't let it keep him down. At least, the guy had short black hair and a neatly trimmed beard. He wore a red and white plaid shirt with the sleeves rolled up, and he looked fairly muscular. Quickly deciding that he wasn't a door-to-door salesman or a Mormon making the rounds, Bert concluded that the guy probably wanted to use his phone. His car had probably broken down somewhere nearby, and he wanted to call for a tow truck. Bert had been through this drill before as well. Hello? called Bert through the door, watching the visitor through the fish-eyed lens of the peephole. Can I help you? I sure hope so, grinned the guy, looking friendly enough. You Bert Delisky? Yes, answered Bert. Who are you? Buddy, replied Buddy with a nod. "Geez, I've been looking all over for you. I got a little turned around in Wilmar and ended up lost. Couldn't find this goddamn street, Bert. That's too bad, responded Bertram, taken aback by the visitor's tone of familiarity. Though Bert had no idea who the stranger could be, the guy apparently knew Bert, or at least pretended that he did. What did you say your name was again? He asked through the door, searching his memory for a clue to the guy's identity. Carver shaded his eyes from the spotlight with one caramel-brown hand. Squinting at the shadowy tables, he saw that one woman was doing the clapping, and he recognized her. As she rose from her seat, the folds of her red satin dress draped over her voluptuous body, highlighting every curve. Her long red hair seemed to catch fire when she glided into the blazing spotlight. Her name was Sheila Venus, and she was the leader of the dreamboats. She was the one Carver had been playing piano for when the three men had attacked him. "'Congratulations,' she said in a throaty, sultry voice. "'You passed the audition.' Carver looked around at the three men scattered on the dirty dance hall floor. "'That was part of the audition?' I don't want another piano player who gets himself killed, said Sheila. Carver nodded. He knew all about the piano player who had gotten himself killed. That man was the whole reason Carver was here, undercover, using his classical piano training to win a spot in a crooked big band. That man had been Carver's brother. This is Hiram Fleeson," said Mayflower, sliding an eight-by-ten photo across the glass-topped patio table. Tom stared at the color photo of the thin-faced little man with wire-framed eyeglasses, a baggy brown suit, and a bad haircut. He was seated on a park bench, gazing blankly to one side, a brown paper bag in his lap, and a sandwich wrapped in wax paper in his spindly hands. Mayflower was wearing latex gloves like a doctor or dentist. "'This is his address,' he said, sliding a slip of paper with typeset printing on it across the table. "'He lives in Seattle. You'll rent a car and drive up there this afternoon.'" Frowning, Tom looked at the address without touching it. The bad feeling he'd had all day was getting stronger. Mayflower pushed a silver key across the table. This is the key to the front door of Mr. Fleeson's house. Once you let yourself in, you'll be pleased to know there's no security system to contend with. Tom stared at the key, the bad feeling intensifying. Next, Mayflower lifted a paper bag from under the table and put it down in front of Tom. This is the gun you'll use to kill him, the billionaire said. matter of The next morning, I went back to the field where we had found poor Abel. I was looking for something that would help me understand what had happened, anything that might tell the story or even a little bit of it. When Adam and I had found the body, neither of us had searched the area. I had been too upset upon realizing Abel was dead, and to Adam's mind, Abel was still alive, so what need was there to look further? Either that or Adam was the killer and didn't want me to see anything that might tip me off about his involvement. It was because of that possibility that I lied to Adam when I went back to the field.